Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Max, have you ever heard the term de schooling? No. Do you have any idea what you think it might mean? Not going to school. Kinda. Stand up fussing and fighting. Hi. I'm Nalika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. Rebel in the morning, rebel in the evening, too. I first learned about the idea of de-schooling at the Brooklyn Free School. When students joined our community, they would need a time of transition, um, a process of unlearning what they thought or how they believed they were supposed to engage with adults, um, how they were supposed to engage with their peers, how they were supposed to engage with structures, um, all types of things in order to really be able to embrace this new freedom of choice. And I remember thinking that makes so much sense. Like, of course, you're going to have to decompress. You're going to, it's going to take time to like really remember how it feels to have autonomy over your own body and your own thoughts. And I also immediately also thought that is the hardest thing ever because it's not like just unlearning a history or some facts or some way to do a math equation. It's like unlearning the unseen aspects of white supremacy. And even crazier than that, those aspects of white supremacy that you were really good at are your spaces of like success. And now you're in a space that's telling you that actually is your oppression. Whoa. But because children are amazing, they just took to it. They were willing to sacrifice all that shit in order to be able to decide when they ate food, (laughs) what time they, like, went to the bathroom, like, just to be part of community. And I just wonder, what do we have to unlearn? How do we need to de-school in order to create liberation for ourselves and for our children? Today, um, I am joined by Akila Richards, who is, um, I don't, it's like, I keep thinking of the word term like vanguard, like someone who is at the forefront of a movement or the forefront of change. And so I'm so excited to have Akila here with us. So hi, Akila. Hi, Nolika. Thank you so much <laughs> for inviting me to have this long overdue conversation. <laughs> oh my God, we're going to get all into it. And so um, Akila, tell the people about yourself. 
Um, so I am an unschooling organizer, which just basically means I talk and write in as many spaces as possible about unschooling because I see it as one of the paths to liberation, particularly for black people. Um, so I, again, I just write everywhere about it. I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast called Fear of the Free Child that focuses on de-schooling and unschooling for black folks, non-black indigenous folks and people of color. Um, I also have a podcast network, Raising Free People Network, that is centered on liberation work um, and also centers the voices of black women doing liberation work in various forms. And, you know, I believe in it because I live it. I'm a mother. My partner, Chris, and I have two daughters, Marley and Sage Niambi, and they have really been like our medicine and our guides from you know, like decolonizing or continuing to decolonize from what life was to what happened when we started listening to our children. Tell us about your people. Tell us about your children. <laughs> yeah, um, Marley and Sage. So I say all the time that even though Chris and I call them ours, you know, mm -hmm. they own themselves. They mm -hmm. own themselves fully. And um, we are Jamaicans and come from a very you know, traditional British Caribbean background in terms of who your children are supposed to be and who you're supposed to be and all of that. And Chris and I kind of fell into that with like moments of rebellion here and there. But then Marley and Sage came through like, bitch, like they just completely, you know, <laughs> opened up the whole thing. And, and they've been doing that since we tried to make them go to school when they were, um, much younger. And they spent maybe about two years in elementary school, before, you know, they basically pushed back enough for Chris and me to be like, oh, oh, okay, bet. Let's just stop this. Mm -hmm. So Marley is 16. She's a dancer. Um, she's an aspiring journalist. She's um, really just this outgoing, really intense, <laughs> intelligent person who um, keeps us on our toes in really beautiful ways, really compassionate, really driven, big mouth, you know, when mm -hmm. she was little and um, my dad or whoever would take her to the park and get nervous. I said, don't worry. If you're just quiet for a minute, like you'll hear her. She can't get lost, lost because mm -hmm. you'll hear her above like <laughs> all the other kids. And um, Sage Niambi is 14 and she is just like an old soul in the truest sense of the word. She loves to bake. She loves the needle arts. She calls herself kind of like granny goth. She's into a lot of stuff that she said that like grandmas would do, but with an edge. Um, you know, <laughs> I so love like, that. I love that. <laughs> so it's so funny. Um, you know, and they're, they're just really incredible people. Sage and Marley balance each other out in really interesting ways. Mm. And Sage is really emotionally intelligent. So she's a type of person and she's been on the podcast quite a few times, mm -hmm. um, as has Marley. Mm -hmm. But Sage is the person who comes in and it's like, what's really going on behind these symptoms? You know, like mm -hmm. that kind of... <laughs> kind of way, whereas Marley is more like kicking the door, waving the 4-4, like that sort of thing. So um, they're just really interesting people. And we've been really fortunate to be learning how to partner with them as people, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to the power over dynamic. And so they really have been, as I said, like our medicine and our guidance counsel in, I am in the work. I am so excited to think about the fact that our children will know each other. 
Um, you know what I mean? Like, I always yes, think about, like, you know, recently I watched uh, Girl Trek, which is an amazing organization mm-hmm. for women and, yeah. and just thinking about our needs. And they had a, like a live video where Martin Luther King's daughter and um, Malcolm X's daughter in conversation and I keep I was like yeah of course they know each other <laughs> you know of course they're <laughs> friends um and yeah I liken us to those people because <laughs> we're doing some yes. real crazy shit and the idea that yeah I'm just really excited in hearing about your young me people. too so that's really me too. exciting I, I love that you brought that up I think about that all the time there's a few people in my circle who are like when we gonna get our kids together see what mm-hmm, happens mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> So we um we try to like now in quarantine cuz we're recording during the time of a pandemic we do a lot of like watching movies together and it's really hard to find like movies that we all can meet all of us and we're I'm not just <laughs> sitting there just cussing it and talking about how it represents white supremacy. So I'm yes. wondering what's your favorite movie to watch with your children? Hmm. Um, I don't think I have a favorite. It totally varies. We are, but as, as unschoolers, one of the good things is that we don't have these like posturing things, like things we wouldn't really watch with our children Mm -hmm. or things we wouldn't want our children to watch, especially Mm -hmm. as the stage they're in now. So it really depends. What I love to do is get into, um, what they're into. Like they like a lot of foreign films and stuff. And I like being, the really disruptive one to be like, wait, what that mean? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, that's fun for me. I don't know if the, <laughs> the girls find that fun, but we like to just um, share things that each of us like. So there are certain movies that I like and we might pick a time and say, yeah, let's get into this one. Or they might have a new series or something that's out and they're like, oh, you guys might like this. Let's watch this. So we do more, you know, more so that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What are you, what's the last thing you guys watch together? Let me think. Um, Moomin, M-O-O-M-I-N, which is a an animated series that I think is, where it come from? I don't know, maybe Sweden? I'm making that up. But it's some series that's really beautiful and brilliant called Moomin that Sage is really into and we all enjoy. So we watched a, a few Moomin episodes together. Oh, okay. <laughs> so today uh, we're going to be talking about de-schooling. And the idea of that time in between when you're trying to become in tune with what was and what is going to be. And so um, in thinking about de-schooling, something that kept came to mind to me was this idea of like adapting and that we all kind of go through this process of having to adapt to a new environment to new situation to a new understanding and so Akila asks you to think about a recollection of a time that you had to adapt and I ask you to push back as far into your memory as possible do you mind sharing your story with us now sure yeah I remember um I was maybe seven and I think it, I don't know whether it was the first time, but when it it was one of the first times that I took two buses um, by myself from one parish to another. So um, at the time I was in living in between St. Andrew and St. Catherine, two different parishes in Jamaica, living with both sets of grandparents, because by then my parents had migrated to the States and, you know, we're living 
primarily with my um, paternal grandmother in an area named Duane Park in St. Andrew. So she ran a, a daycare and uh, was also an entrepreneur, ran some other businesses. She wasn't about to like traipse back and forth to drop me off. And of course, she didn't have a car. So um, I remember her walking me to the bus stop, really busy, bustling. We passed by this huge plaza where people, you know, you have a lot of vendors selling yam and mango and all of that, just sitting out there, bustling place and lots of sound. I remember just being so excited about the audio. I think I've always been an audio nerd. Um, so I remember that she waited for with the um with me for the first bus and she talked to the conductor you know said look this is my granddaughter she's gonna get off here and then she needs to get on the other bus there to get to passage for it and i remember just feeling so like excited that grandma was trusting me to do this and that i had a responsibility to like stay safe and get there and you know, all of those things. And I was really excited. I, I remember sitting towards the middle of the bus and I got a window seat and um, a couple of other adults were like, yeah, all right. You know, just the usual island sweetness. And I remember just being like, yes, you know, I didn't want any extra help. I didn't want any special treatment. <laughs> and I just remember sitting on the bus, looking out that window and I don't know, to wherever I stopped to take the second bus was maybe like 20 minutes, but it felt like a road trip, like a long ass five hour road trip. And I felt great. And I remember the conductor being so caring and making sure that I got on the right bus. And, you know, I think my grandma gave him the money instead of me to pay the people for the other bus. I don't know, but I just remember feeling so taken care of. And I remember when I got off that bus and walked that block to get to my other grandmother's house opening the gate. I feel like I walked extra slow. I was probably traipsing, not walking. And that was, I think, one of my first experiences with autonomy, like a sense that I could be entrusted to do something. Of course, there are a bunch of different factors in terms of where we were and all of that, but that's the memory that came up. It's so interesting because as you, this happens often, on Raising Rebels, but like as you're telling your story, so much of what your recollection is relates to my recollection. And so what I was thinking about having to adapt, the thing that came to mind for me was the transition into high school. And so I went to, you know, like a Catholic elementary school in the Bronx, graduated from eighth grade, had a couple of friends that I knew that were still were also going to the same high school I was. And, um, you know, you show up. I remember so distinctly the first day of school, all the freshmen like have their first day that they show up and we're all there. And so part of um, part of the process of preparing to go to high school is that in, during the summer, or maybe even the spring before high school starts, you go and get measured for your uniform skirt. And so when you go and get measured for your uniform skirt, you just go to, I don't even know who this person is that measures you. Everybody goes there. You got to go get the same, like everybody gets the same skirt, right? Because it's a uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and when the skirt shows up to your house late August, it is kind of crazy. I think we even had to go pick it up, but it is like huge. Because now in retrospect, I realize that they're measuring black girls and my black body and what they came up with, like what size skirt I'm supposed to have. It looked it crazy. It just looked crazy. Mm. And then I put it on and I have to get up and go to school. And I knew enough because I had visited the high school that I went to that 
no one else looked like this in their uniform skirt. Like that's just not part of that. That's not what they looked like. It, it didn't look like a you know a long jersey dress. It they like the skirts were like fitted and they were right above the knee. And I mean, it fit my body like just like that, like a balloon over like a sack over your whole body. But I knew enough because I visited high school and I've seen girls get other people get on the bus going to high school and all in New York City, public school, like on city buses. And I know that's not what it's supposed to look like. But anyway, the first day of school comes. That's the skirt I have. So I put it on and I try to do the best I can. And I start walking to school. And as I'm walking, like, I meet up with a friend of mine that I knew from elementary school that was going to the same high school as I was. And she kind of told me, well, you can roll it. So you can roll the waist of your skirt. And so I said, okay. So I start rolling waist of my skirt. It looks a little, it still isn't cute, but it's, it's, it's a little <laughs> better than it was before. And then I get to high school. You know, we get there. It doesn't look so crazy. Some people's skirt look even crazier than mine's did. And we go into school and then we're freshmen. And over the course of that whole freshman year, there was like this long year of adaptation. And by the end of the, the uh, by the end of my freshman year, a lot of things happen. But one thing in particular is the upperclassmen that were graduating, the, the senior who were graduating from high school gave me their uniform skirts. And so I didn't realize, but it was like this thing of like, of course, it takes a lot to get your skirt to fit you the way it's supposed to fit you. And I didn't know that showing up in September. I just like put it on. My parent, no one knows that. But by the end of the school year, and my and my body is adjusted. Everything has changed. Like, right, you're 15, 14. Like, my, everything is adjusting over the course of that first freshman year of high school. And at the end of freshman year, an upperclassman that had graduated, she gave me all of her uniform skirts, her summer skirt, because we have, like, a different skirt you wear in springtime than wintertime. And so she gave me all of her uniform skirts. And then I just wore those for the rest of my years of high school. And then when I graduated from high school, I found an underclass, an, like a freshman that I was connected with, and I gave her all of my uniform skirts. And so, I, I mean, I never really thought about that <laughs> until I was like preparing for this um, recollection. It kind of popped into my head around all of the things that I had to relearn or like unlearn and adapt to this new environment that I wasn't prepared for and I kind of had to figure it out while I was there and in it and the thing that Mm -hmm. really kind of resonated with me was the idea that there's like community around it and there are traditions that I'm stepping into or there's ways in which people I didn't even know right like things that were put in place for me before I even arrived at that destination was going to aid me through this very um I don't even know the word to yeah. describe starting high school. <laughs> like it's like this. Yes. This like this kind of like this foreign country almost, right? Like this foreign, like foreign place, culture and like community and like things that ecosystem that is already in place that then I'm stepping into. And so when I thought about, you know, like I said, when I was thinking about this idea of de-schooling um and 
all of the things that have to happen in order to process that and to get to the other side and adjusting to all of it. Um, I really was focused on or started thinking about the connections and the community and the people around who help support that transition. And so, first of all, I have so many things I want to say to you. But (laughs) the first one I want to start with is I very much think of you as that person. I very much think of you as that upperclassman who is out here handing out uniform skirts (laughs) to, you know what I mean, to all these freshmen who are like showing up and wanting so badly to figure this shit out, right, and make it their own and just didn't know, just don't know. There's so many things that they just, don't know and so I guess my you know and now and I know enough to know that someone had to like give you the uniform skirt or like help you do that (laughs) yes we're all yes we're all you know we're all part of it so I mean my first question to you is like how did you get here like who and how did you get to this place of embracing unschooling and yeah. like just a rejection of all of the things that we have been socialized to think is the way to do it. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that story. I really appreciate it. And I definitely can relate to a lot of it. Um, a lot of it. We wore uniforms back home too. And um, also the idea of like upperclassmen and the culture and I had an experience like that in college because college was major culture shock because when I left Jamaica, we were in South Florida, which is like Lika Jamaica. So so then when I moved to Atlanta um, to attend Clark Atlanta, I was like, um, what? You know, so there were a lot of things culturally that I just was like, what, what are they doing? Took me a minute. And, um, and also just kind of the lay of the land, as you said, like realizing that there were certain things that even though less so in college than high school, certain things are laid out for you and you are expected to just like fit, fit into that and just kind of hit the ground running without a knowledge of certain things, but certainly with a lot of um, ideas about who you should be and how you should show up. And I was definitely steeped um, in that. And I think that, so I really appreciated your story and really moving to hear you talk about me as a, you know, one of the upperclassmen handing out the skirts. I really appreciate and enjoy that imagery. (laughs) Um, I think I would have been outside, like, here's some shorts though. Like they'll kick you out and then we could get together and do something else. Like I think, (laughs) but in the context of what you said, I dig it and I hear it. Um, I think for me, how, in terms of how I got here, one, certainly Um, my ancestors, like my guides, I talk a lot about guidance counsel because I am, I have a lot of that. I've always, um, understood myself to be of a lineage Mm -hmm. and, and I don't mean like romanticize, like all grandmothers are sacred space and Mm -hmm. they're not, they're people who have really fucked up relationships with their elders. And that's real. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just not one of them. I happen to to have had those sort of sacred relationships. And even as like my mother and aunts and uncles were not in the same type of relationships with their mothers like I was. Like I was always curious about why my grandmother and their siblings would do certain things, you know, certain colors, certain rituals, things that I didn't 
understand why I was interested in it, but I, I think in hindsight, I've always had a calling to stay connected to my ancestors Mm -hmm. and the work that was happening with them um, before we just needed to survive. Mm -hmm. And, And I really know, I'm really clear that that influences a lot of the decisions that I make. Like my pronouns are she, her, but mm-hmm. I understand myself to be they. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that there are certain things that, because when you say like, how do you get here? I, a lot of it wasn't like conscious me. A lot of mm-hmm. it was like mm-hmm. my daughter's saying, <clears throat> like Marley, I tell the story all the time about how when Marley was coming back from maybe first grade or something, or maybe it was kindergarten, she came home one day and, she just looked so frustrated. And I was like, what's going on? And she put her little hands in the air. She still had her book bag on, I remember. And she was like, I, mommy, I just have so many thoughts. No, she used to say, mama, mama, I have so many thoughts and I don't have time to think my thoughts. And I just want to think my thoughts and watch my programs. And, you know, and she just kind of broke down how she mm-hmm, wanted her life mm-hmm. to be set up. And I was like, um, that's not how life works. Like you just study hard and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I just completely <laughs> dismissed it. You know, yes. just there, there, hun, and yes. completely dismissed it. And um, I did that over and over again, as did Chris. And then when Sage entered school and she's a comfortable introvert, not a shy mm-hmm. one, not a sad one. She's just is not into people like that. And <laughs> she would say, and she would say, mom, they keep I have a couple of those. I have a couple of those. Have a couple you of see those. it. You see yeah, it. And yeah. I respect it. And so she was like, they keep peopling on me. And I, when she used that term, it really struck me because it, First of all, it's so like pee-pee, like pee-peeing on me. (laughs) And like the idea that someone was putting something on her and she had to endure that day after day. After a while, it just wore on me. Like maybe my job wasn't to try to figure out how to get them to settle into school. Maybe, just maybe my job was to try to like connect with them and not the extensions. I want to just pause you for there. I want to like... We need to dig deeper into this because this is like one of those questions. It's like I'm asking you, but I know people like I'm almost also asking it of myself. A song keeps playing in my mind. I've been listening to it and it's like Dennis Brown's Revolution. You Jamaicans, I know you know it. Big tune, big tune. Yes. I know you know it. Part of the song, um, there's this refrain that's like, many are called, few are chosen. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking like, like many are called, many people are going to hear their child have heard, as black folks, have heard our children express discomfort, sometimes like full on out of body experiences, rage, like all the whole gamut of like yep. this system is not made for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? This system and who I am and how I show up in the world, they don't fit. They it's not right. Yeah. But very few people, unfortunately, are able to hear that and say, it's the system. 
some people even can say it's the system but can get to a place of like actually you don't have to put up with that like actually right. yeah because i'm gonna like push you know like i recognize not some people blame the child or like feel like the child has to shift and change but i think more and more people recognize the system is is just fucked up like more people yeah, are like they don't move I out know. of it yeah yeah yeah. Not like, I, yeah yeah there's more people that are there and yet still that move to like reject it revolt against it few are chosen <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean but like so, many so are me called few are chosen it, because it's it's nuanced right so yeah so even though even though we eventually made the choice to break the girls out of school prison and you know give them the space and all of that uh, be real clear that we still were like hella schoolish. We took the schoolishness. They were withdrawn from the elementary school, mm-hmm. but we were still hella schoolish at home. We were still like, okay, bet now you're free. And here's what freedom looks like. You could do these things and these things and these things, but not these <laughs> things and these things and yeah. these things. So we're still, I know we it well. I know it well. Yeah. Okay. I know it well. So, mm-hmm. so it took us a couple of years, um, of our own de-schooling journey. And I'll definitely get into mm. it and talk about like my definition of de-schooling and, mm-hmm. and what I think that's connected to. But what happened was we withdrew them from school because we realized essentially that we were, um, that you couldn't, we couldn't advocate both for the system and Marley and Sage at the same time, because we tried, we really tried to figure that out. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, you can do that bet. So we took them out of school and we're like, if it didn't work out, we could bring them back or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we started doing basically homeschooling, really loose homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And then they pushed back against that too. And we, um, <laughs> I definitely was, was not like a what do you call it? Like a passive parent, definitely very traditional. Like what you're not going to do is blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I was like mm-hmm. that. And so the, and, and I know that my daughters knew that and had a fear of me, which at the time I thought was healthy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what, what started to switch it a bit for me, Nolika, is that even with the fear they had, because I used to hit them, we started out as those type of parents that we no mm-hmm. longer do that. I speak openly about that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, even with all of that fear that they had that they could be physically, you know, attacked, mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. emotionally, that they still were like, bitch, this shit is not working. It's not working <laughs> for me. You know, like that, that, that blew my mind. I'm like, yeah. so you know the potential consequences that's what that's what clued me in mm-hmm. to be able to listen you know to to my guides to be like yo this is not their resistance is the roadmap you know mm-hmm. and and I, that's a that's a, a refrain that i use over and over again even now their resistance is the roadmap now that does not mean that when they resist something that their solution is to do what they're asking it happened to be that was the case with school i'm not saying that's the case all around mm-hmm. but what i'm saying is the resistance is always going to clue you in to the way that you're not partnering but instead you're powering over it and so there's an opportunity to pause um mm-hmm. to discuss mm-hmm to unpack, to potentially pivot, or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. certainly to have the conversation about what it looks like to to continue and why. And why that's dope is that over time, even when they push back and and you might meet that resistance with a firm like, yo, this is where I am, this is what I'm thinking, because you've established that relationship over time, and Marley talks about this all the time too, even when we do trainings publicly, they developed a trust to be like, you know what, 
I know that this person has my best interest at yes, heart. And yes. I know that I don't fully understand. And I know that I could say 8,000 times, I don't get it, da, 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 and we could discuss it 8,000 times, but they're not going to be, we're not going to just like suppress them completely. Mm-hmm. Since they know that, there's certain things that they just will do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. trust us in. And so that, that Nolika is the answer to your question. Like mm-hmm. in terms of how we got here, it was like baby steps, a lot of pushback, a lot of introspection, a mm-hmm. lot of, as you mentioned at the top of the, the this conversation, mm-hmm. really checking in with my own old knowings and being like, yo, I didn't like that shit when I was little, or here's mm-hmm. how I am. Not from a space of like mini meing my kid. I don't believe in that. I don't like that. I warn against it. Like the whole, they're just like me in these ways and these ways. Nah, they, they're, yes, we have similarities, but they're their own people. And what got us here is really over time, accepting Mm -hmm. that accepting like what would it mean to listen to my kid not from the space of like all right let me figure out how to make you comfortable or how to get what i want but actually listening the same way like you and i are talking and it's like oh here's how i feel here's how i feel what what can we do that is long story short what what got us here constant partnership and communication um with marley and sage like you would with like like your adult partner (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I mean, so much of what you're saying resonates with me because my path to this unschooling, which is where I am right now, was a long journey. And, you know, the way I got here is really through surrender, like constant surrendering to what I say is what I believe. You know what I mean? Like, you you Mm -hmm. know, you talk about like what kids push back against, what other people push back against. It's fine if you're pushing back against and I can like defend or I can be in like rigorous like um, discourse with you about something I believe deeply in. But if you're coming at me with something that I already I'm the one who taught you that that shit ain't right. (laughs) Like what what are we really doing right now? You know, like how am I going to sustain that? And so learning how to be in like integrity with my children and with myself is kind of like the process. So when you speak about this idea of like it's it's like it was a journey and you and they led it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes. it was a lot of like following them down that path. What are you what like what were the things or what still are the things that you struggle the most with giving up <laughs> or surrendering to yeah. as part of like great question committing to this. <laughs> um I like to be right, you know, and I like I like for that my rightness to be acknowledged, fucking celebrated. Um, and so Marley and Sage are like, that's cute. <laughs> um, that's a tough one when I'm like, wait a minute, you you saw how I shifted, right? You saw how I did this like decolonized thing, like what, like where's the parade? Essentially, mm-hmm. um, that's mm-hmm. a big that's that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to feel like, look at my growth. Are you looking at my growth, mm-hmm. especially with the girls? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's one. Oftentimes. That's so fun. I <laughs> I connect so. I mean, my thing is like I have a, and I know it's so connected to my childhood. I want to be trusted. I want that if I said if if I say something and you question it, I take it very personally. Like right. I said it. You didn't like. Remember like me, and they're like looking at you like uh, and I heard and you, you know like and uh-huh. it, yeah. 
and you get <laughs> and I get my feelings about it. I get like deep in my feelings about the fact that you don't just trust me blindly. Yes. Um <laughs> So I I completely I completely hear you. Deschooling is like this idea that you have to unlearn things. Um, like it's like detox. You know, like you've been eating something that's not good for you, or and you just have to take some time of like getting it out of your system. It's kind of what it is. Um, yeah. What have you unlearned as part of your experience of being here? Or even during this time of COVID, what are some things that you've had to unlearn? My, the, my, took my pen away. Um, the idea that my worth is with the actions that I do. Tell me more about that. Like who I am as a person is what I've done or what I will continue to do, what I'm living, the process I go through every day. And what have you so you've unlearned that idea. Yeah, I'm working on it. You're working on it. Why that? Like, why have you had to unlearn that? Because I'm not doing anything. I'm here. I don't have an everyday process. I don't get up, go to a muffin place, get a muffin, obviously. <laughs> and then and then go to school and then do different classes in school in a line. Then go on the bus. Then come home. Then take a train. Or something. I didn't even know that you associated your self worth with those actions. It was like news to me. Yeah, you think I tell you every creative thought in my brain. I know. I mean, inside I... too. Oh, well, you're definitely more than what you do. Definitely, definitely more than what you do. So much more than what you do. What has been the hardest things for your children to unlearn? From their um, short, because it's funny because you know I keep thinking I have um so three I've you know three girls and they've all been in public school traditional schools even even the free school which I really appreciate as being part of my journey of getting where I am now there are mm-hmm. things to unlearn about those experiences because yes. deep rooted in all of it is white supremacy yeah and I kind of got have gotten to a space of like. I don't know how to balance that anymore. Like, I don't know how to Mm. pick out the parts of it that are about liberation from the parts of it that are about white supremacy. And when you're in it, it's so hard to do, which is why I don't, I don't think you, that's why I'm not into reform Mm -hmm. and all of that. I do not believe that you can do both. I do think that de-schooling work sits outside of any schoolish place. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think that at a certain level is exactly what you said, especially when you talk about the myth of white supremacy and the Mm -hmm. prevalence of that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really hard to dissect that in a space. And so for the girls, I know Marley talks about oftentimes that's where I came up with the term schoolishness from, because I recognize that, oh, shit, even they even though they were only in school for like 0.7 seconds in the grand Mm -hmm. scheme of things. Schoolishness is pervasive. You do not have to be inside a classroom to be directly influenced by and governed by and your expectations set around schoolishness because it's pervasive. Listen, Um, (laughs) say say it again. Say it it again. It's almost (laughs) like, because it's like a conversation I'm constantly having about like white whiteness and white supremacy. You don't have to be white. You don't no. even have to be social. Like, that's not, it can be perpetrated 
by anybody in any system in any like and it is everywhere yeah and it is and so that's that's the thing that um again it's something that marley has spoken about a lot so i can speak to it um really honestly and not just like my um ideas of what she might be experiencing even at this stage and like how she is because of because her personality and her way checks off a lot of the boxes that are schoolish you know she mm-hmm. enjoys studying she likes a conventional structure she mm-hmm. has a calendar we talk about certain things that's actually her personality just in the confines of school that shit is ridiculous because mm-hmm. of course it's not it's not actually your your life and time and blah 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 so mm-hmm. she still deals with the sense of like well should I be doing more? Should mm-hmm. I show up in this way? Mm-hmm. Do I like production, which is very much tied to um, when we were enslaved people and the the imprint of that in our bodies, in our DNA mm-hmm. to feel like we are valuable because we produce and we are safe when we produce because we mm-hmm. look busy and we won't be you know, penalized. Um, my homegirl, who's a therapist, um, Thea Monier, talks a lot about um, how that shows up in black bodies. And when my daughter, who only spent a couple of years in school, but was raised by very schoolish people who are now decolonizing, she still feels that feeling of not enoughness and and is able to like navigate that you know with support but that's a thing that shows up for her too absolutely i mean everything you just said and this idea that you know when you're around different people you recognize like there's different ways of being like there's some people who need certain structure to help them process their days there's some people who need um like to like write in a particular way or like to yeah. be in a particular way. The issue is not that. The issue is that there's the o- there's only one way of being in these school settings that you can be in which you can be successful. You know, like there's only one way of being. And if you know, I was successful in school. You know, like that's yes. something I always check myself on. Like I, I did that shit. Like I, yeah. it it worked for me. Yeah, but it didn't work for me. I just knew how to. It, just who I was and how I showed up exactly. was accepted. You knew how to contort I for knew, that, and exactly. also some of how you were check the boxes. Exactly. Same. So we became great at studenthood at yes. the expense of personhood. Absolutely, uh, and, yeah. and and at the expense of the fullness of all of who I am. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And and I think so much of that is part of what this. De- I mean big part of the de-schooling is part of like, cause so like I said, you're the vanguard, like you, you know, like I'm following, I'm watching because I come, I definitely have, you know, like you, you talk about peeling away the layers of schoolishness and, mm-hmm. and very much for me, I always knew that I was like about like a different type of education, a different type. But as, as more progressive as the spaces I got in, it just wasn't enough. Yeah. Just, just, every time you just keep pushing further and further to the left and it's just we're going to fall all the way off the side of this bit like it's just not enough yeah. and even when you know we recently moved to Amsterdam there was this this kind of pressure about like okay well now I'm going to be I'm going to hold all of this so what's it going to look like mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to what I know <laughs> you know and what I yeah. know is schoolishness and kind of get into a space of like, actually, we're okay. <laughs> How, like, I, we're good, we're okay. The kids are okay. They're not only are they okay, they're fantastic and they're right. great and they know it. And I know, and if I trust that, we will all be in community together and it will, 
it will move in the way it's supposed to move. Absolutely. And I love how you brought up like just the reality that people learn things different ways. People need, you know, some people need a certain type of structure. Everyone needs some type of structure. So when you make the space, it's just a matter of seeing and being able to support what that looks like for each kid. And that's what I'm constantly learning with Marley and Sage, because early on I was like, okay, bet Marley's like this, Sage is like this, this is what it looks like. This is what I need to do. You know, still, still bringing back in the schoolishness. Whereas Mm -hmm. as they evolve, I can see now that how Sage was even a year and a half ago, she isn't. She's, it's, she's mm-hmm. actually very different now. And so if I try to put her in that box, support, just like we know, even sometimes with our family, they swear they're supporting, but the support is like, you need for this or you need for that. It's like, that's actually not what that looks like, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes putting it in practice to see that shit and, and, and recognize mm-hmm. your schoolishness. And I want to give my definition of schoolishness mm-hmm. um, because I know that it's been so useful for me to disrupt it. You know, when I name it, it's easier for mm-hmm. me to like recognize it happening. So it's, um, and I haven't shared this publicly before, Nolika, because so I'll share it here for the first time. Oh, I have a, a, a <laughs> exclusive. I wish you like, you know, like, burr, we gotta like have the ear horns and all the all of that because we Jamaican. Right. So, so Chris and I are working on a site. It's live now, but we're finalizing. Callschoolishness.com. Ooh, um, I love the name. I love the yeah, name because I really, again, I know for me, a, a lot of what I do and a, a lot of other, um, just like soul centered entrepreneurs talk about this my work is really just like my life experiences out loud Mm -hmm. written out edited in audio that sort of thing so um this feels really important because i know and i've seen it enough times when when we have language for something it it can make the practice not always but often it makes the practice more practical like we can normalize a practice so schoolishness as i as i define it is conventional practices that are rooted in binaries and generally accepted by adults, but rejected by children and teenagers, either overtly or covertly. Um, Schoolishness is a living out someone else's goals or narrative of how and what we should be. It models an authoritarian approach to adult-child interaction, as well as respectability ideas rooted in adults' innate superiority in knowledge. Um, Wait, because I just want to, you can't just say that one, like, you can't just say that, you know, like, you're like, let me just, let me just, you know, let me just, let me just drop some, like, you guys, you, say it again, say it again for the mic, because yes, that, I shall, you, I and I'll just, send it to you so you can put it so people can read it and feel it for themselves, and yes, um, so I'll read it, so conventional practices that are rooted in binaries and generally accepted by adults, but rejected by children and teenagers, either overtly or covertly. A living out someone else's goals or narrative of how and what we should be. Schoolishness models an authoritarian approach to adult-child interaction, as well as respectability ideas rooted in adults' innate superiority in knowledge. So, I mean, you just like started a whole new episode, but we and we can't do that right now. <laughs> We've right, been talking like, oh God, for a minute, like 10 more minutes, but you right? literally, yeah, you just literally started a, a whole because. Because that's the whole thing right there. Like, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. Like, you just, you just said it all, like, in that definition and your absolute, and an ability to check yourself as the adult in the space around what exactly is happening here. Um, You know, I've mentioned it, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, like, I have this, this printout that I got 
at a conference, I was just like, this is what, these are all the things that are white culture. And it's like something like 50 things. And I put it on my fridge to remind me so the kids can see it and I can see it and my husband can see it and we can all see it and we can just look at him like, you see that thing right now, how I'm mad because it's 10.05 and we're supposed to be in bed at 10 o'clock and I'm losing my whole entire shit about it. Mm-hmm. That's white supremacy. But yes. if I don't have that sheet there, I can't remind myself. I think it's about something else and it's not yep. really about anything else. It's about that. And so what you just shared schoolishness which i'm about to print out again and put on my food my fridge next to that paper (laughs) is all of it all of what we need to know about what's happening with ourselves as adults as our children in the midst of this covid19 crisis um pandemic are home with our children so many of us are home with our children for the very first time Mm -hmm. and are losing our entire sh- our entire minds <laughs> like are losing our yeah. whole sense of how to be with them with ourselves um but they're all we know we're at their home like people are home for the first time and what you just described as like schoolishness and what that definition is i think is where the struggle is but yeah. we don't know that's where the struggle is we think the struggle is that First of all, as parents, we're not doing it right. Right. Or our or children aren't doing packet, it right. Or the teacher or the, all the different things. Yeah. And, I, and I'm really grateful that, you know, yours is another space where that's being expressed. It's so important, Nolika. We need to talk mm-hmm. about that shit over and over because what what we are in, in, in my, I have a, a book coming out and I talk a lot about that because the things that we are seeing as educational issues and institutional issues, really a lot of that, the those are symptoms. The underlying thing, those are, it's relationship issues. We do not know how to be in right relationship with each other. So not that you home all day and he home all day and they mm-hmm. home all day and you don't, you can't pretend, you know, like you don't have your vices. You didn't leave the house all day and then stop by the happy hour thing and you can't get the same kind, like you, now you actually have to be with the people around you. That is not only the issue, it's also another aspect of systemic racism, of Mm -hmm. of the myth of white supremacy and what it does, because capitalism is tied to that. And all of those things to make sure that we're groomed in a way to be really individualized Mm -hmm. and to not really understand how to be ourselves together. So now you're at home and everybody's catching wreck because you, you know, your vices aren't in place and you have no language and practice for actually being yourselves together. That's the issue, not the goddamn packet or you (laughs) or not you not being enough or the teacher mm-hmm. not doing enough. Those are mm-hmm. those are symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are like I'm like I said, I'm like so excited that we're getting to have this conversation. And in the midst of all of this, right? All of what people are having, so many people are rethinking it. So many people are questioning everything. Like like mm-hmm. you know, we're in a time that's what happens when you know, you have revolution, right? Like you, you question everything, which is such a gift. It's such, it's such a blessing to be able to like question yourself, like, like, look, like, yes. what's, what's up with me? And so, what do you like? What guidance do you have for folks who are like starting to question the system, starting to question the goal of having their kid go to Ivy League schools? You know, starting to question, you know 
doctor, lawyer, even artist, like whatever it is, but conventional going through that part process and starting yeah. to think about it differently. Like what is what is step one? I would say that step one is to consider what your intended outcome is in your relationship with your child. And by that, I mean the question, um, for example, do I want to ensure, because that's what we feel we can do, we feel like we can make sure, do I feel like, do I want to ensure that I raise a certain type of adult or do I want to ensure that I have a certain type of relationship with this person when they're an adult? Mm. Um, that, that question is a good disruptive one. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really into, I talk about mad question asking and disruptive questions because for some parents, the, the thing is, nope, I, you know, we come from this background. My kids really need to be doing this. And that's my focus. If that's the case, that's going to drive you. And you're not going to be focused on the person and the relationship. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but if everything ain't for everybody, everything ain't for everybody. Right. And freedom is for everybody. So if you want to get in the way of that again, I just, I don't know, I'm not sure, but Mm -hmm. for where, where I usually connect with people where either people find me or I, you know, we get into each other's orbit. It's usually a person who's already like, I want a better relationship with this person. Maybe they, maybe you have a horrible relationship with your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, as a lot of us as Caribbean people have not necessarily a horrible one, but a very like presenter mode one. Like I'm this way when my parents are around, they don't know that I smoke weed. They don't know that mm-hmm, I this, blah, mm-hmm, blah, 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 mm-hmm. whatever your thing is. Um, a lot of us are in that space. Like, do I want to be in a performative relationship, um, with this person or do I want to like be in real relationship? And if you do, if you ask that question of yourself and the answer is obviously I want a real relationship with them over time, then the question is, how am I getting in the way of that now? Mm-hmm. Because, because that's not like magical and mythical and you don't got to be deep and shit to figure that out. Your, your kids, you get the answers to that all the time. Mm-hmm. The things you push back against. So then you'll start to, cause that's what we did. And a lot of the things you push back against, you'll start to realize, Hmm, why is this an issue for me? Then mm-hmm. you go back to what you said, Nolika, then you start to question yourself and mm-hmm. that sort of work, that disruption of your regularly scheduled programming and diving into mm-hmm. something else. I promise you, anybody listening, I don't care whether I know your background or not. I'm telling you, once you start to do that, your whole shit is going to change because you're mm-hmm. going to recognize that there are certain things you accepted that not only are they, un- they not acceptable, you actually have an option to be in a different relationship just by starting to talk and listen. So that's what I would say. Absolutely. You, you, you said, you, you said a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like you, 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 you said, you said so much. And I think, um, what I would add to it is just to have compassion for yourself. And I think that as long as we, with doing that introspection and doing that hard work of looking back at who we are and the relationship we want to be in with our children and really ourselves, right? Like really ourselves, that there's going to be fits and starts. You're going to realize yes. that the thing you were doing for the last 18 years with your grown ass child was was actually the problem, was actually yep. the issue. And when that happens, similar to when people, you know, white people got to look at whiteness or, you know, cis people got to look at their homophobia or their, yes. like when we all, every place that we sit, sit in privilege and we got to look back at it and recognize we done fucked up we have a choice to make whether we're going to like just keep looking at it or mm-hmm. kind of excuse it away 
or like just bury it. And yeah. I think that if you have compassion with yourself, you will be able to sit in it and really transform. You really will. So many people are doing that, especially now. And this is the opportunity in the middle of the pandemic. I, I'm sure you've seen that and experienced that too, where more people are like, my God, my kid has been in such a good mood or this super mm-hmm. apathetic person, this apathetic dismissive teen is now like checking in on me or sitting next to me on the couch. And I get these messages like, I'm, I think I'm going to start asking people permission to share some of these messages because so many people are recognizing that shift right there. And it's not mm-hmm. about what the specific five steps you need to do, because even that is schoolish. A lot of it is to not do What can I stop doing so that the thing that needs to happen here has the space to emerge? Let's talk more. Let's talk. Let's keep talking. Let's talk more. I (laughs) want to come talk. uh, You're on your show. I want you to come back here. I want us to like just be out in the world. Um, Something that I've been asking people um, as we end these conversations in this season is like, what is the gift that you think um, this pandemic is trying to give you? And so, Akila, <laughs> what is the <laughs> gift that this coronavirus, this time has given you? Um, so crazy. One of the things is um, lots more ears. Because of the work that I do and the, the situation now, I have, I am like overwhelmed with people saying, okay, yeah, yeah. So how do we do this? What happens now? And so that's a beautiful position to be in because I have a network of people who've been doing this shit, myself mm-hmm. included, been uh, like many years who can now say, oh, OK, Forbes magazine or, you know, Good Morning America or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now we can have this conversation so more people can come over to the podcast and pre-order the book and mm-hmm. get in contact with people like Malika Diggs and mm-hmm. Dr. Sanjada and you and, you know, so many other people, mm-hmm. um, Kelly Limes Taylor, all these different people, black folks in particular who have mm-hmm. been doing the work, who can amplify things. And that feels very much like a major gift. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so, 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 so very much for like the abundance of, of just, of just, just being so generous with your whole self. Always. You're so welcome. Um, <laughs> goodbye. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Peace. About a month into our lives in Amsterdam, Hamara and I, Mabu, went on a walk. It was a perfect walk. The air was perfect. The light was perfect. There were birds and water and trees and everything. And about a half an hour into that walk, I heard someone approaching from behind. And I did the thing I have done my entire life. I readied myself. I checked my surroundings. I figured out what I was going to do if something popped off. And then I returned to like, my body like okay I'm here I know what I'm gonna do if something happens and now I'm ready to go by that time the person had gone off on their merry way was not thinking about me and I realized I have been doing this my entire life and what have I lost what pleasures what experiences what knowings have I lost by moving through the world assuming I always have to be on the offensive 
And I think that is part of the socialization that comes with white supremacy. Um, that we're all in competition, that there's a scarcity of things, that um, I'm vulnerable. And it's true. It's not like it's a real thing. But what was also true is that person wasn't thinking about me. What was also true is that the universe is conspiring for my success. What is also true is that it doesn't matter where I live. It could be Amsterdam. It could be Brooklyn. It could be Wakanda. If I don't put down some of this fear, I won't be able to embrace liberation. And so I think what I'm going to have to unlearn is that that person walking behind me, I gotta unlearn that they're they they could like they're gonna harm me. I have to shift and start to imagine that that person walking behind me actually has good intentions. Because regardless, what's going to happen is going to happen. Me thinking something bad is going to happen is not going to make it happen. I'm not going to be manifesting my own demise. Um, So I might as well walk around expecting good things, enjoying the beauty of the world, being free. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound. Why not just get together and live in one love and one unity, you know? Rebel in the morning, rebel in the evening, too. Now, don't you be like a devil when I play with sounds called a rebel, rebel, rebel. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.